Welcome to the Pacific Point Church Podcast, where we're learning to love and live like Jesus. During this half hour, we're praying that God will direct, encourage, and speak to you. If you would like to partner with Pacific Point Church and our church plants, you can download the Pacific Point Church app at the App Store or visit us at pacificpointchurch.com slash give. At that same site, you can also watch and listen to previous sermons, read follow-up blog posts and extended notes, and even connect with Pacific Point Church on social media. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. All right, Kevin, I'm going to have you stay up here, but I'm so glad that uh, Kevin is able to join us today. We are in this series uh, of the answer is Jesus in you, and this is what we have been saying and what I feel like God has spoken to me for this year for each of us is that the answer isn't in the world. The answer isn't in the next job, the next relationship, the next dollar. The answer is not in any of those things. The answer is the Jesus that lives in you. When you gave your heart to Jesus and the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead that lives in you, instead of looking at all those other places, we look to the Jesus that's in us. It's an attitude of the heart that cries out to know God, to know God every single day. And I I wanted to bring Kevin in here because... Um, Pacific Point, we have a certain culture that we're trying to develop. And that being one of the things that, that Jesus is the answer. And culture is about the why or the what. It's about the purpose or who you are and what you do. Culture is about behaviors and norms and all those types of things. And I, in my consulting and the other business that I work in, men's here today, we, we talk about culture and culture is so important and who we hire and, and how they treat customers and all those things. But on many levels, we have a culture here. And when you walk out these doors... We didn't hire you, but when you walk out these doors, you bring norms and you bring purpose with you. Hmm. And that purpose happens because of the Jesus that's in you. And when you engage Jesus on a daily basis, when you engage him in your life, what happens invariably is you walk out these doors and you encounter someone and they go, "Ah, who's that Jesus that lives in you? And you bring hope. That's the culture we want. But with that is, is who we are. If, if you're new here, and, and just a quick recap is, is this. All we are is a bunch of jacked up people learning to love and live like Jesus. Look, I just hope, you know, I, I'm like, I know he's messed up. Sorry. He knows I'm messed up. It's only by the grace of God. Amen? Amen. It's only by the grace of God. And when a group of people come to the reality of who they are apart from Jesus, because the reality is this, I deserve hell, but I get grace, what he talked about, I get eternal life. Oh my God, thank you. I'm just learning to love like Jesus and live like Jesus. A lot of times I'm not really good at it. She's a lot better at it, but, but I'm trying. I'm moving forward, and it looks like this. Two steps forward, three back. Six steps forward, two back. Seven steps forward, five back. That's good. But I'm moving, and I'm trying to become more like Jesus. That's our mission here. That's our mission. And, and when a group of people, I don't care if it's 40, 50, 70, or three, get that, we can change the world. 
we can change the world. Here's what we value in this church is this up, in and out. The culture that we want to grab is this up, a relationship with God, in is our relationship with others, and out is sharing our great stories. If you're here long enough, you'll, you'll realize this. You can't sit here and do nothing. I, I believe the power of God that sends you out there wants you to preach the gospel, and that may be just being the hands and feet of Jesus and loving others well. But it's this first one that, that we're focusing on today, and it's this up. And it's our relationship with God. And I asked Kevin to come to really talk to us about worship and, and, and teach us about worship because it is it, the heart of who we are in our relationship with God. This worship comes forth. And I, I wanted him to today to really spend some time with us and, 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 and really talk to us about what that means. Worship, the feeling or expression of reverence adoration for a deity, God, the worship of God, the act of attributing reverence, honor, and homage to God. We're talking about worship in song today. There you go. Yep. But let me tell you, you can worship in how you treat others. You worship when you give. You worship when you engage. Every aspect is worship, but I, I'm going to turn it over to Kevin and, and let him take it from here. But I just want us to know that we want to build a culture of worship in this place. We're worshipers of Jesus, unabashedly. We're raising our hands. We're engaging. I know some of you don't raise your hands. I don't know, you know. I, get, I, I like to do that. I'm not saying hi or not. I'm just kind of, you know. But there's, I could teach you why that's in the Bible. I know why, but I'm sure you will teach yes, us. Not today, next Not week. today, next week. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but it, I want us to be worshipers because I see the fruit of it. So, Father, I pray just the rest of this time as Kevin just disengages in your word and who you are, God, let us receive. Oh, God, let this house be a house of worship. Oh, God, that your spirit would fall on this place and we'd be worshipers. So that we bring hope to a hopeless world. In Jesus' precious name, amen. amen. My technology's freaking out. Come on, get to where we are today. That's what I just did. Now, why are you showing them everything I did to get to where I am? That's where I need to be. So, I am a teacher. Um, I always said I wouldn't be one because my mom was one and she'd come home crying about her students. I'm like, that's ridiculous. <laughs> Why'd you cry about? Why'd you cry about somebody else's child? And they cry for me, but well, that doesn't work. That's right. That's right. There we go. That's close right there. And so, um, but I ended up being a teacher. And my dad was a college professor at he was at Santa Monica College. There's actually a uh, a planter out front in front of the business building for my dad. And his his both of his siblings were professors and. And so the reason I'm telling you that is because in the Bible, so you got, you got a teacher, he's a pastor, so he might cry and care for you. I'm going to give you a pop quiz because I want to know what I need to teach you because I don't want to waste your time and mine. You see what I'm saying? That's what teachers do. We give you, we give you a test and we find out how smart or dumb you are. And then we teach to that level of smartness or dumbness. And then we test you again. And hopefully we've moved you from first grade to second grade. Isn't that what teachers do? So you're dealing with a teacher this morning, not a pastor. Probably won't pray for you, but I'll give you a test. I'll, I'll try to be a pastor. All right, so it says here in, in Ephesians 11, 
you know, I keep acting like I don't need glasses. I really, I just, I just keep acting like it. And hopefully one day my, you know, the, my eyesight in my twenties, it'll come back, but it doesn't. But so I just look at that. I love that. So Christ himself, so Christ himself gave uh, the apostles, the, prop, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip God's people for the work of service so that the body of Christ might be built up. So, so you're dealing with a teacher today, but there's at least five types of offices that God has given. Y'all still believe that? Yes. Uh, in the church so that the church may be uh, built up and reach the unity in the faith. Right. And the knowledge of the son of God to be mature, attain the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So I think we could argue that the church today, especially in America, is not mature, is not has not attained to the full measure of the fullness of Christ, the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And I think part of the reason is because most churches, a lot of churches will have a pastor. Right. And they might have an evangelist, but they, they leave out the apostles, the prophets. Right. And they, they'll be teachers. So it's like having a five cylinder car, but you're only running on two or three cylinders. Right. And so I think that's one of the reasons why the American church is immature. It's like it's like why we can't model how you should work in cultural, not racial. Because if I tell you why the word race is racist, it'll take me 20 minutes. And it's based on Dar the subtitle of Darwin's book, Origin of the Species or Preservation of Favorite Races in the Struggle for Life. I saw this in the British Library with my own eyes with a dude in London with a gun on his side. You know, it's a serious room in London in the 1900s if they were carrying guns. And I looked at the book and I said, oh, so Darwinism is the reason why we have racism. Interesting. So anyway, what we are is we're one race, the human race. We're from different cultures. But the church in America does not know how to model that so that when everybody else is being racist and yelling about stuff that no one chose because when I was in the pre-embryonic world, I wasn't going, well, I really want you to make me brown. And I really want you, this is a pre-embryonic world, like I'm having a conversation with God. I really want to be born in Louisiana in the 1960s to a, a poor mom and my dad left, you know, before I was two years old. And I saw him once a, once a, once a year. And, and by the way, um, you know, uh, I want my mom to call milk liquid gold because I can only drink one glass a day because she was so poor. I, that's the way I want to be born. I wasn't talking to God in the pre-embryonic world and asking to be born poor black in the 60s in, in Louisiana. And neither were the white people who were born rich and white in the 60s in Louisiana. Neither were the white people at Singleton Plantation that my dad took me to who looked just had my facial features, but they were white. And Mr. Singleton, I found this out a year ago. It was so cool. Mr. Singleton bought an Ethiopian slave, but she was so fine. He fell in love with her. But she looked East Indian, and they didn't disown him from the family because he could, he could marry an East Indian, but he couldn't marry an Ethiopian. So my great-grandmother is an Ethiopian slave, my great-grandfather is Mr. Singleton, who owned the Singleton Plantation. No wonder my grandfather Roe, my grandfather Father Roe was so white. Now it makes sense, because his daddy was white. And so nobody said, I want to be born pro or black. Nobody was born said, I want to be born into this plantation. Only. And, then, and then the church can't figure it out. We can't even help non-Christians deal with racism. It's because we're immature. Right? So I'm going to teach you a little bit. 
today. Is that all right? And you're dealing with a teacher, so I gotta, I'm, I've got to show you this just so that you know that, what I, that I know what I'm dealing with when I'm dealing with y'all. All all, everybody has a philosophy in life. It has to do with metaphysics. I'm sorry, I can't walk over there, right? Our philosophy is based on our metaphysics, epistemology, axiology, and logic. It's a meal. And if you start with metaphysics, that which is above physics, God, if you start processing life with God first and then epistemology, how many of you know what epistemology is? You could define it. If I could give you $100, you could define it. Every person in this room has an epistemological framework and you don't even know what it is. Aren't you so happy that you're dealing with a geek this morning? Your epistemology, it's a study. It's, it's the study of knowledge. It's not what you know, but it's how you know what you know. So at some point, I learned this epistemological truth. Objects fall toward the, eight at the earth at 9.8 meters per second per second. But when I learned it, when I was, I don't know, one years old, that would be over five decades ago. So when I learned this, I, couldn't, I didn't have the language to say, oh, that object is falling at 9.8 meters per second per second. But what I actually did, because I learned this, that I was in a closed environment in a Milky Way galaxy, none, 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 I didn't have any words for any of that stuff. But I just knew if you push that thing off the table that my mom told me not to push, it was going to go this way. It wasn't going to hover. It wasn't going to go right or left. I, I was building an epistemological framework. And do you know what? I have an epistemological framework on gravity, on fire. You know, when I see some fire, I don't ask you to pray for me to see what would happen if I would touch it. Because I have an epistemological framework on fire. And then your axiology, your ethics. See, your, your metaphysics, what you believe about God, helps you to process what you learn, how you learn. And then it helps you to determine what's right and wrong, your ethics. And then... When I'm, when, as you're listening to me, you're going to ask yourself, you're asking yourself all this stuff about me right now. You started, the moment I got up here, you started doing this process in your head. So I'm just telling you that I know what you're doing. And then you want to ask yourself, you ask yourself, is this dude logical? Does it make sense? But what a lot of people do is they start with logic first, and then they go up to, so, so, so it was logical for the, the white singletons to own black singletons. That was logical because that's all they knew. The little three-year-old singleton white girl, she didn't know that her parents were treating the blacks on the plantation like widgets. She didn't know it. She just played with them in the house. The little black girl, the little white girl, they just played together. They had fun. And so it was logical if she saw her grandfather who she loved or, or her uncle who she loved and they were beating a black person, right? That was like, oh, that's just the way we treat people. That was her logic. So I'm not mad at that little three-year-old girl because she doesn't know any better. I'm mad at the Christians who haven't done anything about it. But I'm not mad at the little girl. She doesn't know the Lord. She's, that's, that's her logic. And so, so then that's how she chose what was right or wrong. And then she probably backed into her epistemology, and then she probably tried to add God to it and say, well, God bless my slave ownership, <laughs> right? Or God bless my whatever. Right. And here's what also is happening at the same time is this this thought continuum. I love this. This is not my these are not my thoughts. I don't think I'm this smart, but I have learned it and I, and I understand it. I think this is logical to me. Epistemology leads to presuppositions. That's what I told you. When I learned that gravity worked, I no longer have a presupposition. I now have a presupposition that if I push something, it's going to go down. So that's how I view the world. 
right? And my worldview is that gravity is something that's at work. It's a law that's a constant. I can try to violate it, but it usually wins. As a matter of fact, the only time I see gravity losing is when I get in an airplane and the law of aerodynamics supersedes the law of gravity. But the law of dynamics eventually loses and the gravity wins as the plane lands. Are you tracking with me? And so now I have habit patterns. One of my habit patterns there are is, one of my habit patterns is, I don't walk off of buildings. So I started doing this because I, I figure that if I walk off of a building because I got some presuppositions and the epistemological framework and a worldview about habits, I just kind of figure that if I start walking off buildings, I might fall. I don't ask people to pray for me about walking off buildings. I don't ask people to pray for me, I'm going to stick my hand in fire because when I was one, I stuck my hand in fire. And I, d I haven't done it since. I respect fire. I stay away from it. I love fire. When I go to, you know, dude ranches, I love sitting around the fire, but I, I'm, I respect it. And so my epistemology sets up my, epistemology sets up my actions. And so my habits, um, that dude Aristotle said, he said, um, he said, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence, therefore, is not an act, but a habit. Right? Now, while this is going on, that's why I call it the simultaneous continuance. While that's going on, I'm getting more information. So some of you are getting information this morning, right? And you might be like, John, that dude is weird. Don't let him speak next week. All right? Maybe you don't like the information, right? But the information, if you meditate on it, if you live with it long enough, that information could turn to illumination. So here's what illumination is. If we turned off all the lights in here, and, and we, could, we had the ability to black out the windows and make it so that you couldn't see anything. Illumination is this. When you turn the lights on, you see everything that was already there, even though you didn't know it was there. Nothing new came into the room. But illumination is when you turn the lights on. You'll do that. If you read the Bible enough times, you'll get to a passage in the Bible, and you'll see something you've never, before, you've never seen before, and you go, oh, my gosh, I never saw that. That's illumination. All right? Revelation means you can say it. Because... Jesus asked his disciples, he said, who do you say that I am? And he said, uh, you're, uh, he said, you're Christ, son of the living God. He said, well, flesh and blood has not revealed it to you. See, if you can say it, you got revelation. But just because you can say it doesn't mean you can live it. That's transformation. But the power of your, your words are important. What you say, if you say it long enough, you'll create it. All right? I mean, some people have made a lot of money off of this, you know, just saying, I am great, I am great, I am great, I am great. Or you look at a beautiful girl whose parents told her, you're ugly, you're ugly, you're ugly, you're ugly. Everybody's saying, you're beautiful, she thinks she's ugly. I'm like, girl, you need to look in the mirror one more time. You're not ugly. You think you're ugly because somebody told you you're ugly. And so their, their words, what they, their revelation to you has transformed the way you think about yourself. Are you all tracking with me? Right? And then manifestation is a fun one. When I was working with that youth group in Nashville, there was a girl named Rachel. Uh, I, let's forget her last name. She's got a new one anyway. So we'd go to Pancake Pantry in Nashville, and we'd get there at 7 o'clock to do our little Bible study with the youth group, and we'd sit at a table, and Rachel would go, oh, my gosh, this is going to be such a great morning. We're going to have pancakes. We're going to talk about Jesus. And we're all over here going, look, girl, it's 7. You're on a, it's 7 a.m. You're on 13. We're at 8. We haven't had any more coffee. You need to bring it down. What Rachel was, she was a manifestation of the joy of the Lord. She, was a, she didn't have to preach to us about it. Get around Rachel. You'll feel joy. 
I've got some friends, one of them's in this room. The only time I've ever been able to pay for a meal when I'm with some of my friends is I had to sneak out and act like I was going to the bathroom and give a card because my friends won't let me pay for a meal. So they don't have to preach to me about generosity. They just live it. That's a manifestation, all right? So now I know all that's going on in your head. Every time you hear something, I just want to let you know that I know that what you're doing. I know why you're looking at me like you're looking at me. I see you looking at me. I work with kids in the Bronx for 12 years every day in the hood. All right, so what? How many, so I need to know because now I'm getting ready to go into and I, I can go at a certain speed. I can go slower or faster. What time do I stop and, and do we start talking? So they have, you haven't taught them about authority, right? They don't know that. <laughs> they can say what they want, but there's actually someone who's in charge. Isn't that what Jesus said? Jesus said, <laughs> he said this, this Roman centurion came up to him and said, my, hey, my daughter's sick at home. And Jesus said, well, I'll come and lay my hands on a healer. He said, oh, no, no, no. He said, just speak the word and it'll be done. And Jesus' response to this was so weird. He says, I haven't seen such great faith in all of Israel. I'm like, why are you talking about faith when he just, because the dude said, he said, I'm a man under authority and I have people under me. I tell one to go, he goes. I tell one to come back, he comes back. And Jesus is going, I hadn't seen such great faith in all of Israel. How are you going to equate faith with understanding of authority? Because it's, that's what it is, right? So you don't understand that because he's in charge. <clears throat> but he still hasn't given me a time, so I'm going to just go. I'll be watching. I'll be socially and emotionally aware of you all. And if I see you falling asleep, I'll go, well, you're getting boring or you're gone too long. So means of grace. When he talks about creating a culture of musical worship, um, first thing I thought of was, well, let's talk about, let's talk about means of grace. Because um, John, I grew up Wesley, I grew up Methodist, and the founder was John Wesley. And I'm going to read some of this to you because I really want to get to the bottom part of it. But as you look at this, and I'll, I'll share this with you if you want, this document. But he said that means of grace were basically these things that you find in the scripture of how uh, these tools that God has given us so that our humanity can connect with his deity. Right, so God, if God is really God, if there is really a God, he is, he's holy. And what, what the Greek theologian, I'm not a Greek theologian, but I like them because they tell me a lot of stuff that I don't have to go study for myself. So the Greek theologians say that holy means other. So God is so other than us that for us to understand him, he had to become like one of us. That's what Jesus was doing. The theologians call that the hypostatic union. It was a union between God's deity and our humanity so that he could be an example on the planet for how we're supposed to live life. Okay? So, how do you connect this humanity and this deity? <clears throat> and John Wesleyan calls it, he called them means of grace. He said there's some works of piety and there's some works of mercy. And those are the works of piety. I don't really like that word, but it's an old word. He was from the 15, 1600s, so we'll go with it. It's individual practices. So pray, fast, read the scriptures, live healthy, right? Not too many trips in and out. Um, communal practices, so we do together. Worship, take communion, baptism. So think about it. Communion. Are we taking communion today? Is that why these things are here? That's good. See? 
See how smart I am? So this is just juice and bread. That's all it is. I mean, that's all it is. And or, you know, if you're from old school, you'd have wine and, and bread, right? And so that means nothing unless you can join your faith with it. And if you join your faith with it, it has the potential to connect the entire history of the church. Jesus said, whenever you do this, he said, whenever you do it, future, do it, present, in remembrance of me. It's one of the, it's one of the coolest things in the church that connects us to the entire historicity of, Christian, of the Christian worldview on planet Earth. When you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Isn't that cool? But if you're just eating bread and juice, then you, you just ate bread and juice. But that's carbs, right? Carbs are bad in California. <laughs> Everybody's so fit. Baptism, that's just taking a human, putting them underwater, and bringing them back up. That's all it is. You can do it in a pool. You can do it in the ocean. You can do it in a river. That's all baptism. You take somebody. They trust you because you're about to hold them underwater, and they hope you don't hold them there and send them right to heaven, <laughs> right? And so you hold them under, and you bring them up. And all, you, all just happened is somebody got wet unless you join faith to it. And then there's something that the scripture says, there's a cutting away of the old nature so you can be raised to life with Christ to live a new life. That's crazy. But otherwise, you just got in the water. You might as well just go swimming. I mean, all this is, I mean, reading the scripture, look, y'all, that's black ink on white paper. That's all that is. It's just words, unless you join your faith to it now. Now, if you join your faith to it, some cool stuff could happen. You should, you should get a book. I'm going to give you two examples. You should get a good book called What If Jesus Had Never Been Born? What If Jesus Had Never Been Born? Okay? So if you believe that this is the word of God, look, it's just paper and ink. I know that. You can make one. They got all, they got all different kind of versions of it. But somebody read this, and they said, you know, Education should be for everyone. This was in the 1600s. Because in the 1600s, the only people who were educated were like religious, like scholars, the wealthy, or um, royalty. So this guy, Johann Gutenberg, took a wine press, put some things on it, and created the Gutenberg press so that uh, normal folk could read the Bible in the vernacular and, and regular people's English, right? And then, and so that's why we can, that's why we have books today. Because one dude who loved God said, well, it shouldn't just be the rich people, the royal, and the religious people who can read. Everybody should be able to read. And so the Gutenberg Press started to print out documents. The Gutenberg Bible was the first document on planet Earth that was mass-produced so that regular people like us could read. I mean, did you learn that in school? How many of you learned that? Some of you learned that in college. Okay, so I'm not making it up, but only five of y'all learned that, right? That's great, because only five hands went up, or the rest of you just don't want to play along, okay? So... Now, how about this? 1647. The Old Deluder Satan Act of 1647. Anybody ever heard of it? It's the reason why I do what I do in public schools. Because the Old Deluder Satan Act of 1647 said, it being the chief purpose of that Old Deluder Satan to keep men ignorant of the scriptures, it is therefore ordered that any township, this was in the, the 13 colonies, any township that gets up to 50 families shall hire a tutor 
to train their children to be fitted for college. And if any township gets to 100 families, they shall build a schoolhouse and hire a tutor to train their kids for the college, to be fitted for the college. And the college that it was re referencing was Harvard. So public education in America today is because of the old deluder Satan act of 1647, because it was the chief purpose of that old deluder Satan to keep us ignorant of the scriptures. But people don't know that. So a lot of Christians go, well, I ain't giving no more money to public school system. And you shouldn't give it maybe to the system, but you should give it to organizations like the one that I founded. And this is not to pitch for that because we actually we're doing it here. In What's up, man? This dude here is running Elevate in Orange County. And what we do is we, hire, we raise money, we hire teachers, we give them to the public schools. They teach 13 character qualities and life skills based on internal compass, future mapping, and keys to success. They teach them in a public school, and they have to take it for credit. And they teach them, they teach the high schoolers how to teach what they've learned to third through sixth graders. So now they have to be philanthropic before they have any money. And then, because we've earned the right to be heard in the classroom, we hang out with them after school. We take them to ball games, boardrooms, and, and, uh, and uh, ball games, boardrooms, and diners. And we hang out. Why is my friend Phil calling me in the middle of preaching? Um, and we continue the conversation, begin the classroom, and then we take them out into nature so that they can apply what they learn in the classroom. And we get a 95 to 97% graduation rate in the toughest schools in America, all across America. And so, yeah. Yeah, he was the guy in PIMCO. He's not the guy that gave it 500000 no. But just, so don't, don't go talk. But he knows the guy. <laughs> I just realized I'm talking about PIMCO. You're right here. So we were in PIMCO. Do, do you have enough education to have been in that room the other day? Favor of God. We shouldn't have been in that room. All right. So, are you, okay, so you're tracking with me? Means of grace. All right? Education. Florence Nightingale. Nursing. Christian. Right? Some guys came over here and they, you can believe what you want about the founders, but the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, that's probably why we have the three branches of government. That's probably why our country has done what it's done in such a short amount of time. And everybody trying to get in here, right? You don't see as many Americans trying to go and immigrate other places, right? Other places. Because the founders, although they had some things wrong, they had the slavery thing wrong, they based this experiment on the word of God. Right. And you do an you do a national experiment. You're going to make some some mistakes. OK. Anyway, now I'm back over here. Works of mercy, individual practice, doing good, visiting the sick, visiting the imprisoned, feeding and clothing, communal practices, seeking justice, abolition of slavery, all that stuff. OK, so this is crazy right here. So I want to show you this and we're not going to go into it, but I, I pull I copied this article or this link to the article to show you this, these British people. Now, y'all know any people from, are there any British people in here today? Like you're, you're from England? British, you, you British? So what? Oh, you're South African. Can you make milk tart? No. Biltong? You can make biltong? We're gonna be friends, we're gonna talk afterwards. I've been to South Africa eight times, so I, I, I love you already. Like we can just go, I, I love you now. You know, sometimes you got to go to dinner. You got to figure out, do we love each other? I love you now. Okay. <laughs> We're there. Okay. So, so the British, which was, I think South Africa was a British. They were the, oh, they were the British uh, prisoners. No, that was Australia. But Britain had to do something with South Africa. It was a colony, right? Okay. 
So these British people, but they're really reserved. I don't know if you spent time. I used to do basketball camps in England. Man, these people, they're so reserved. It's like, they're like the Christians, you know, they get, ex they like the Christians who are excited at the Rams game, but at church, they're not excited. They're like that all the time. Except for, except for when they're playing football, which we call soccer, but you'll know what I'm talking about. So these British people, these really reserved people, and I'm, just, I'm not even going to go into it. I'm just going to let you read it on your own. They had this thing called Sing Your Heart Out, and they found out that really reserved British, British people, if they got together and sang, that it had all of these benefits. It had benefits in it got rid of anxiety, depression, loneliness. You should, you should check it out. If you just Google, you know, Sing Your Heart Out, British people. You'll find this, all right? Now, this was interesting to me, and, and I copied it to show it to you because what the British people were doing is they were finding out what was already in the Bible. I love it when people figure out what's already in the Bible, right? And so Ephesians 5, 18 says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. It tells you, I believe it tells, and I asked a Greek theologian once, I said, could it be that these things that come after that is how is one of the ways you get filled with the Spirit? And he said, I hadn't thought about that. I said, well, I read the Bible as a worship document. You read it as a theologian, so we can help each other. That's why we need to be around people who are different than us. He said, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, and then sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. So speaking to one another, that's what we were doing, right? So what did I do? I said, I said, I said, come by here, good Lord. We were singing to one another. That's what that was. And then, then I close my eyes and I go, there, uh, I go, no, not that, I go, there may be storms that won't move out of the way. I don't care about y'all right now. I'm singing to the Lord, right? And so, so sometimes I'm leading worship and I'm looking at people. Sometimes I'm leading worship and I don't really care about you. Right. Because and you're kind of watching what I do every day. Right. So I just I just do that with God. And then when I lead worship and then I happen to do it in front of people. And sometimes I can lead those people. if They're open to being led. And sometimes I can't. Right. So so speaking to one another with Psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to the father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus. Right. So musical worship is how you're filled with the Spirit, is what this Greek theologian told me. So when we sang, so do you feel, does anybody feel a little bit better than when you came in here today? That's not because I'm necessarily that special. It doesn't, do you feel better? How many of you feel better when you come to church almost every time? That's because you're speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, and you're making melody in your heart to the Lord. That's, that's why it's important for us to be together as believers. Does that make sense? And it's important to sing. I love this. It says, sing joyfully, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. How many of you have that pair of jeans that just fit right? Yeah? It's fitting. So what is right? The right thing for Christians to do is to sing. And then, you, then, you have, then what happens is you start epistemologically going through your arguments, right? And, you, and your presuppositions, you go, but I don't sing well. Well, God don't care. That doesn't mean you should lead. Now, I need to be close. As I, if I'm leading, I need to hit mostly right notes. That would be helpful because otherwise I'd be a distraction. But y'all, you have no, there's no requirement for you to be a good singer. Please God. 
The Bible actually says make a joyful noise to the Lord. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? You can be horrible, and God likes you. Just like a parent. Just like a parent, right? Like an American Idol. The kids are horrible, and the judges kick them out. And then they go back to their mom, and, and mama go, mama go, baby, you can sing. No, no, no. And the rest of America, we're looking at it go, no, your baby was horrible. The judges were right. Your baby was horrible. Don't send him to California. So sing joyfully to the Lord. It's fitting and upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp. This is an electronic harp right here. That's all it is. It's just an electronic harp. All right. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. Right. All right. So that's otherwise I'm just I'm putting words to music. Right. And it's and it and it's not it's not necessarily worship, but oh, I'm having too many thoughts. I can't go down that, that rabbit trail. OK, so prayer after they prayed. So this is another one. Again, if you walk in and you see me down here and I'm doing like this and my mouth is moving. Yes, Lord. Thank you. You're going. What's he doing? That's weird. Why is that dude kneeling down saying words out of his mouth? It's, it's nothing unless I add my faith to it. And I believe that the God who made me is actually listening. And I'm in communion with him. And what happened in Acts, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. You ever been to a prayer meeting that was so powerful that you felt like an earthquake was happening? Or maybe it wasn't a physical earthquake, but it was like you're, you were shaken to the core as a person. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God boldly. So why don't Christians speak the word of God boldly? Maybe they haven't accessed the means of grace called prayer. What about sharing your faith? Right? So Philemon, or Philemon, depending on what side of the lake you're from, Philemon says, it's a little bitty book in the Bible right before Hebrews, he says that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing that's in you in Christ Jesus. This is, when you study this in the Greek, it is so powerful. You know, in languages, you have, words have multiple meanings. Right? So like if I say we're in this room, but I can also say we walked in this room. Two different means, right? Now it's stationary. We're in. But at first, we had to walk into the room. And there's another meaning of in that says we can be in this room and walk into the next one. And this verse uses all three of those ends, right? So the, the sharing of your faith may become effective. What, what, what Paul is saying is when you tell somebody about Jesus, you begin to acknowledge everything that he put in you because God didn't give you part of himself. When, when, you, when you ask Jesus to come into your life, he gave you all of himself. But we don't actualize all of that. And one of the ways you turn on the, the if we turn on the faucet back there, water's going to come out. It's not coming out now because you, that's what the faucet's for. Is that what y'all call it, faucet out here? So when the faucet is turned, it connects to the reservoir that shoots water into that sink over there. But the water's already there. All of God that I need is already in here. But one of the ways I, use, I turn it on is when I start telling people about my faith. Because the moment I start talking to people about my faith, they're going to start asking me questions that I haven't thought through yet. They're going to ask me something. They're going to call out a contradiction. And then now I got to go back to God and I got to go learn more. And when I learn more, I, and then this is crazy because when God uses you, 
and you know how jacked up you are, as John gracefully told you that I'm jacked up, right? When you know who you are, but then God uses you, it helps you to understand who you could be. It's so great. I was walking to this conference in, in L.A., and, and, and I'm walking by, and this guy goes, hey, are you Kevin Singleton? I'm like, yeah. He said, when I was a college student at Duke University, you came and spoke in the quad, and you did those basketball drills? And I was like, yeah, that was me. That was me. And he said, then you came and led worship for our, our Christian fellowship. I was like, okay, that's cool. Duke University, this guy's like, he, he's like one of the top researchers for this huge company that gives out all this money for, the, for nonprofits, right? I'm walking in the room the other day. A little bit later, this guy go, hey, are you Kevin Singleton? I'm like, yeah. And I called my CEO over. I said, hey, let's listen to this. What is this? He says, did you lead worship at St. Simon's Island for Fellowship of Christian Athletes back in the 1900s? I said, oh, yeah, that was me. He said, I was 16 years old then. This dude, he runs all kind of stuff at Fuller Theological Seminary. He said, I gave my life to Jesus at that camp. And he said, you helped me understand worship. I'm like, man, people keep getting older and older. Not me, but them. <laughs> and you know what that did? When they were telling me that, it helped me to understand who I was in Christ. Isn't that cool? But if you never share your faith, then you don't get, you don't get to experience what I experienced the other day in L.A. All right? Fellowship. This is important. You all do this a lot. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many signs were performed by the apostles. So if you can make a commitment to teaching, you get that on Sunday, but then you got to hang out with people, and then you got to eat, and then you got to pray. If you, can, if you can understand teaching, hang out, eat, and pray, you'll get many of the benefits of the Christian walk. So what I did is I, this is one of the ways I held myself accountable, is I created this means of grace document. How y'all doing with the teacher? Am I doing pretty good? Are y'all hanging in there? Are you learning stuff? All right. That was called a uh, check for understanding right there that I just did. Check for understanding. All right. I'm not going to give you an exit ticket. That's what we give kids when they're walking out. Give you an exit ticket and you cannot leave the building, the classroom, unless you do the exit. I won't do you that. But maybe we will. Maybe this is our exit ticket. So what we're going to do, huh? Yeah, we're going to give them this. How, how do I do it? Just pass it. Okay. All right. All right. So I gave you one of these so that you can check yourself on means of grace. Five minutes, and then you're all going to come up. We're going to do that next week. Okay, good. So that means I went too long. All right. I, I, I understand. I understand. I get it. All right. So, so this right here, all right, if you want to grow... In your faith, I've given you a few things. Now, these are small. I, I'm going to have to read it from my expandable document. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to go through all these, but if you, the reason why I did this is because I had to, I had to hold myself accountable. So if I, wanted to, if I wanted to say, Kevin, are you, did you make disciples this week? Okay. Did you teach somebody? Did you share your faith? Now, did you study your word on, on, uh, are you going to study your word tomorrow? Oh, no, I got too busy. I got to fly to Seattle tomorrow, so I probably won't do that. Let's see, will I speak the word? Will I meditate? Oh, I'm going to call when I'm sitting in the airplane and just thinking, I'm going to call that meditation. This is, a, this is, you know, Christianity is an Eastern 
came from the Eastern tradition. It's a Middle Eastern document. Well, I pray. Hmm, I don't know. But at the beginning of every year, I get these cool prayer journals. And so, like, I start writing stuff in them. Right? So, yeah, I'm going to pray tomorrow, I think. So, so, this, so what I'm doing is I'm giving you an opportunity to hold yourself accountable. Because I'm going to tell you something right now. If you don't know what time you're going to read your Bible tomorrow, you probably won't. I'm kind of coaching now. I, I kind of moved from a teacher to a coach. So I get 24 hours tomorrow. You get 24 hours tomorrow. Bill Gates gets 24 hours tomorrow. Nobody gets more than 24 hours tomorrow. Nobody. Does it, has anybody sorted out how you can get more than 24? Okay. So what's going to happen is you already know how many hours you're going to sleep. Or uh, maybe you don't know. But you kind of have an idea. Then you got you got to work, unless you're independently wealthy and you don't need to work and you just do whatever you want. Um, but if you have if you have to work, or you, maybe you're maybe you were working and now you're retired or whatever, you got to do that. It'd probably be good if we took care of our body, did some kind of exercise thing. We got to eat. You got a spouse or children. Like 24 hours goes really fast. Like when I woke up this morning, because I'm trying to live longer than some of my dietary patterns would allow me to live, um, and I'm fixing some of those as well, but I did some things this morning that I do almost every day. I've been doing it for the last two or three years. So I'll tell you about it, because I'm going to do the same thing tomorrow morning. I'll do the same thing Tuesday morning. So I got up seven sprays of echinacea. Three spray, no, three sprays of echinacea, seven sprays of B12. My D3, which has some other thing that I can't pronounce in it so that it gets down into my lower intestine and does what D3 needs to do in every cell in my body. My multivitamin for people over 50 took that. Then I had to cut the top. I do it the same thing every morning. I cut the top off of the, off of the, the fizzy thing, off of the brain food, and off of the gut food put it in there. I took one scoop of my greens. It gives me all the vegetables I need for the entire day. I don't, when we go to lunch, I don't have to eat any salad. It's awesome. Cause I had all of the greens I need for today in two ounces. So nasty. And then I put a little bit of cayenne pepper in it because Cicely Tyson said that that's the way she lived long. But not only Cicely Tyson, it helps things move. So anyway, so I do that every single day. And then you know what I did? I, I habit stacked this morning. I stacked my habits. I got on the treadmill and I did my Bible reading while I was walking. And then there's about 26 people who read the same verses with me because they're mostly young people who did, who they had no, they had no means of grace for the Bible. And they said, Uncle Kev, we want to read the same thing you read. So I send it to them. They're from all over the country. And so I sent out the Bible verses. I listened to my own. Now, this, all this stuff that I did here, I didn't, pre I didn't prepare this this morning. This is extra. This is for other people. I had to take care of me, my relationship with God. And I'm going to do the same thing tomorrow and the same thing Tuesday. And I'll miss a day every once in a while. But I can, if I want to hold myself accountable, I'm not telling you to do, look, watch this. That's my Bible reading for February. So, I missed the 7th, I missed the 17th, but that's me, and, I, and I'm, I'm tracking it. 
I'm tracking it because when I want to become a better shooter, when I want to shoot free throws better, when I was playing basketball, I tracked it. How many are you going to shoot today, bro? Don't be at the line and go, oh, I can't believe I missed. And you didn't shoot no free throws. So you don't know the Bible, and then you go, oh, I can't believe I can't find that. It's in there somewhere. That don't help nobody. You're not a better, you're, you don't pray any better, and you haven't tracked it. Man, I feel like I'm screaming at you. I'm sorry. Um, it's because you were. <laughs> you don't only feel like it. You just did it, bro. Um, it's funny, right? So, so this is what this is for. You can read the verses on your own, right? I'm not going to take you through all of them. Uh, that's why I gave you all the verses. Meditation is part of Christianity. Don't stop meditating and go, oh, that's only for weird people who do yoga and stuff. Uh, hold on. The Bible says, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth, but meditate on it day and night. It's an Eastern, it's a Middle Eastern document. Okay? Pray, fast. Oh, I, this is God, God's worst idea, fasting. His worst idea, his worst one. So I fast at the beginning of every year, and I'm done now, so I guess I can talk about it. So, um, because you're not supposed to like let people know when you're doing it, or you're not supposed to at least look like you're struggling when you are, are struggling the whole time. And so I, I, I fasted at the beginning of this year, and this year, I was like, I really hate that I can hear God clearly. Because he told me to fast all year long. I used to do every Wednesday. So he says, you got to fast every Wednesday. Now you're going to pick that back up that you used to do at worship teams when you were consulting them. And then at the end of every quarter, you're going to go for another week. No solid food. No solid food at April 1 through at the beginning of April, you know, the beginning. That's that, yes, that's Q2. And then August, is that Q? Yeah, whenever. I'll, I've got it on my, on my calendar. And so take these times where you don't eat food because of your relationship with food, Kevin. Right? And so, but you know what's crazy is that when I fast, I feel so much closer to God. But I hate it. But I love it. Right? And so... You can fast with me on Wednesday if you want to, and then let's talk about what happened. I mean, not, not to me. Talk to them. Email them if cool things happen. Is that where, where do emails go when people like, don't like stuff? Go see y'all. Go to Eddie. Eddie. <laughs> Eddie at PacificPointChurch.com. So that's what you've got there. Boom. So have you learned something today? 